Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful conversation is with my dear friend, Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will is a functional medicine doctor. He is a best-selling author, and he is someone that I look to for advice beyond just health, wellness, and nutrition, and also into the realms of philosophy and religion and uh, looking at things from more of a big picture perspective, which is why I appreciate having him here with us. Uh, This conversation, we get into his most recent book, Intuitive Fasting, and the value of fasting, the impact, is it good for everyone? Is it better for guys, girls? What time of day? What does the term intuitive fasting or eating mean in general? A really fabulous conversation, and I think you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. If you did enjoy this, por favor, share it with your friends, share it with family, share it with grandma, share it with whoever you think could benefit from some information on how to feel better in their bodies. Thank you so much for reviews on iTunes, Spotify, share it, all the stuff, and I hope you guys devour, love, and appreciate this conversation with my friend, Dr. Will Cole. How has things been over the last 10 months, 11 months? The the, the era of COVID for you, how have you you been taking that? You know, you know me, I mean, I live a simple life. It's, I don't know, I, maybe I just, I'm not around people that much. <laughs> it's like, I, 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 I consult patients, but it's a telehealth center clinic. So we started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers. So my day job for the past decade has been co- talking to people via webcam. So that is interesting that that hasn't changed at all, really, because it's, if anything, people are more aware that this is a thing. The telehealth is a thing. They started learning about it through COVID. Yeah. Uh, and then my kids are homeschooled and we live in the country. So it's really, I mean, it's not been good for the country and the world. And my heart goes out to everyone that's struggling right now or has been struggling or lost somebody, of course. But I'm quite aware of my bubble that I'm in. Yeah. How, what have you been using or tools that you find helpful with relating to stress? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that that stands out for you? Well, I think it's important to cultivate a practice no matter what time that you're in, right? And that practice is meant towards building resilience. So if someone doesn't have a practice, now's the best time. If you're waiting for the right time, it's probably now um, to have a practice of stillness into your life. And that, I mean, the things that have been solid for me are are solid for me, whether it's a pandemic or no pandemic. Um, So it's, and the more you lean into these things, the more that when they're needed the most, they're solid. They're already doing their job. You're already seeing the benefits of them. So from stress, um, I mean, it's it, foods that we eat play a major role in our body's resilience towards oh. stress. So every food we eat either brings inflammation levels up or down. So if your blood sugar is all over the place, if your inflammation levels all over the place, if your hormones are all over the place, that's going to really make your resilience really lousy. So Every meal is another opportunity to build that your body's adaptation to stress and improve that resilience. So that is definitely first and foremost fundamental for me. But then things like going out in nature and using nature as a meditation is major for me. So forest bathing is the Japanese translation, but Shinrin-yoku. 
I posted about the research around forest bathing and someone said, you guys in wellness are so freaking weird. Why can't you just call it hiking? I'm like, well, that's the Western mind thinking that's just hiking. It's just this physical thing, but it's not. That's actually using nature as meditation. It can involve hiking, but not necessarily. So that's a major thing for me. And just breath work, um, uh, what Eckhart Tolle calls inner body awareness, like these basic but very effective for me, but basic things that I lean on in between consulting patients when people are online all day long. That's something that I've had to really do for myself is to bring these simple things that don't take a lot of time, that don't really take any training either. They just take consistency and showing up and doing it because the more you do it, the more you will grow in that awareness of yourself and um, the benefits will grow. It's like going to the gym consistently will produce a result. So will these acts of mindfulness or stillness or acts of presence will do. So those are things that I'm definitely doing now, but honestly, I haven't changed much. I, I've always done them, but it's it's yep. definitely important now. How does one pin down the um, blood sugar? Because it seems like you know it, it, it varies depending upon the temperature of the room that you're in and the level of stress <laughs> that you're under yeah. and the type of candy or butter that you eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all of that stuff. And especially <laughs> if you put like, butter on your candy to like extra yeah, mess right. it up. Powerful combination. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, blood sugar stability, it's such, maybe for some people, it's such a nebulous thing. Like what blood sugar? It's like this very um, boring topic, but it is actually really exciting. I mean, you won't have optimal energy. You won't have proper brain function, like this clear thinking. You won't have proper satiety signaling, you'll be more prone to hangriness and cravings if your blood sugar is off. You'll have trouble losing weight if your blood sugar is off. I mentioned energy and brain fog, that will be off. Your sex drive will be off if your blood sugar is off. All of the above will be off. So this is not a boring topic. From a functional medicine standpoint, blood sugar balance is really core of something that I need to get sorted out or optimized or at least trending in the right direction for us to even do any of the deeper stuff. Like it is just fundamental. That and iron optimization, if someone's iron deficient, are core stuff to like make all the other amazing stuff that we have to do even possible and more unimpededly happen. Um, so if your blood sugar is off, everything's going to be off. So how we do that, there's a lot of strategies that you could lean into. I mean, every food, again, it can be a disruptor of that blood sugar balance or a blood sugar balancer. So focusing on that. But something that I'm actually exploring at length in intuitive fasting, which is my newest book, it's it's it is about that. It's what I call meta. Well, I don't call it, but what it's known as metabolic flexibility. And most people are, are constantly bound in this sugar burning mode. They're hangry. They're irritable. They have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Trouble losing weight. It's estimated that 50% of the United States has some sort of insulin resistance on the sort of larger insulin resistance spectrum that's going on from metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, and then everything in between those things too. So that's a lot of people that are struggling with blood sugar problems. And even things like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome is on that spectrum as well for women. So it's very important. And these are all various degrees of inflammatory problems, but they're all various degrees of metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity, where they're on this blood sugar roller coaster. And 
flexible intermittent fasting or how I advocate for to really as a tool to grow an intuition, which is counterintuitive how fasting could raise intuition. I guess we could talk about that, but fasting is a great way to calm the noise and balance your blood sugar, but you have to lean into it because if your blood sugar, really erratic blood sugars, you start off with low and slow, but be consistent. Like we talked about with the mindfulness tools, but that is a way for you to get off of that blood sugar roller coaster. So the way that I advocate it in the book are these vacillating ebb and flowing fasting and eating windows that allows your body to become a fat burner, to be fat adapted. So the analogy that's used a lot, which is, I think, really visually makes sense to me. If somebody is in a sugar burning mode, that's like kindling on the fire. Kindling's going to be on the fire, but it's going to be short lived. You have to keep putting kindling six times a day or your fire is going to go out. Your energy is going to go out. That's many people's metabolism. The alternative from a metabolic standpoint is putting a log on the fire. It's, it's fueling your body with fat. And that's more sustainable, more slow burning. And that was what being fat adapted or keto adapted is. That is a core thing that you can build for yourself to have balanced blood sugar. It's definitely, I've seen work what wonders for patients. How does a person start to get some semblance of awareness of whether their blood sugar is out of control? Let's go through it. If you feel shitty or like how does a person... Yeah, I mean, feeling shitty is probably top of the list, but all different iterations of shitty uh, is really what it's like. It's like, check, let's go through it. I mean, if you crave sugar a lot or crave sugar to some degree or things that break down into sugar, if you crave pasta and breads and sweets and cereals and things like that, you need more kindling on the fire because you're in kindling burning mode. You're in sugar burning mode. Yeah. The second thing is if you have waves of fatigue where you just really could take a nap and you either can take a nap and you do nap or you can't have a nap because you work or you know, you're a parent, et cetera, and you have to push through it and you have more sugar and more kindling, more caffeine to get you through the day. If you have trouble losing weight. If you have mood swings, if you you know have anxiety, depression, and you just feel sort of erratic emotionally, that's a sure sign that your blood sugar is off. If you have different levels of inflammation, I mean, inflammation can look different ways in different people, but everybody with blood sugar pretty much has chronic inflammatory problems, and that can impact your digestion, your muscles and joints, like tightness, soreness, different inflammatory problems. And, and brain fog, which isn't always the same as fatigue for people. Sometimes people have decent energy or they'll even say, I have good energy, but they have this brain fog, that, the way that they describe it as this fogginess, where they feel like they're hungover. They feel like, like observing the present moment, but not fully engaged. And they have trouble with word recall and name recall problems. That's a sure sign that you have blood sugar problems too. So I actually started the book out with a quiz that I adapted from questions that I ask patients to that I wanted people to find that out. It's a metabolic flexibility quiz. So we kind of go through these signs and symptoms for people to find out how flexible their metabolism is. Are they really flexible? Are they fairly flexible? Are they not so flexible? Are they really not flexible? But that all of these things, like while it's not fun to talk about all these things, because this people's quality of life are in the gutter when their blood sugar is off. But the flip side is, these are overcomable, healable, reversible. Like you can do something about this. They're not quick fixes, but that's what we're trying to do here. 
Yeah. And so uh, would diet be the place that you would address first or could there's probably a whole plethora of lifestyle changes that could happen on on top of that if you're feeling those ways I'd imagine? Like where would you start with a person? Well, I think that food and pairing that with really smart, progressive, vacillating eating windows or flexible intermittent fasting are really two sides of the same coin because you don't want to fast your way out of, of a poor diet, but also at the same time, you can really amplify the food as medicine stuff with some strategic eating windows. There's so much exciting research in the scientific literature showing that if you have two groups, one group is eating with a bigger window and one group's eating with a shorter window or a deeper fast, but eating the same amount of calories and the same types of food, the people that have the time-restricted feeding window tend to do better with decreasing these cardiometabolic hormonal inflammatory problems, decreasing insulin resistance, decreasing inflammation levels, improving the gut-brain axis, improving the brain function. And there's so many exciting pathways that we could talk about, but it's doing a lot of great things at increasing metabolic flexibility, basically. So how I would start is using food, but using food strategically. So I think the best, one of the best ways of eating that complements flexible intermittent fasting is a ketotarian way of eating, which is my made up word, but for a mostly plant-based clean ketogenic way of eating because ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting, they both increase ketosis. They both increase beta hydroxybutyrate. Ketogenic diet in many ways is a fasting mimicking way of eating because they're both increasing ketosis, which is shown in the research as what's labeled and, and referred to in the research as the fourth macronutrient. So you have proteins, fats, carbs, and ketones. It's the fourth one. So beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB acts not just a way to burn fat, but it's a blood sugar stabilizer. So it actually passes through the blood-brain barrier, provides the brain clean fuel. It's like that log on the fire. It's going to burn more brightly, more steadily, more consistently throughout the day. So pairing both of those, a time-restricted feeding intermittent fasting protocol with a clean ketogenic diet is a great way to start getting some metabolic flexibility. So the way that I describe it in the book is like this proverbial yoga class for your metabolism, because many people like when they're metabolically inflexible, just like if someone's starting yoga or starting any like fitness routine like that, they're inflexible and yoga can be tough at first, but you have to keep showing up and stretching and strengthening and this is your work, really. And on a physical level, this is what has to happen on a metabolic level, too. Is that takes time. But when you show up, you can do that. And when you get metabolically flexible, then it's like, ah, this makes sense. There's a grace. There's a lightness there where they can do things that they weren't able to do before. So that's in a nutshell. I wonder how dynamic a person's fasting schedule would be in, in in nature what like the healthiest fit for most modern people because I think we oftentimes attach to a certain dogma of sorts approach of, of 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 eating in this case and then it's like cool every day you know I fast until eleven o'clock and then you know and then I I eat one meal and then I eat another meal at four and that's just that's just who I am for the for the rest of my life I wonder if is that something that might be shift based upon your activity levels, based upon your sleep, based upon environmental conditions, or is there some one set static way to, to do it? 
I think you touched on a great point. I mean, that's why I, I titled the book Intuitive Fasting. I want people to grow in intuition. But look, it's really easy for me to say that. And it's really easy for people to say that on social media. It sounds nice. It sounds sexy. Like intuitive, I'm an intuitive eater. I'm a fan of intuitive eating. Well, say that to any one of my patients when they're first meeting me and they're in the throes of blood sugar imbalance or chronic inflammation or autoimmune issues or what's up is down and down is up. And is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is it intuition or stress eating? Is it intuition or hormone imbalance? Like stress, emotional eating is not intuitive eating. So I want people to get to that place because metabolic flexibility is really a firm foundation. It is a fertile ground for intuition because you actually have proper signaling pathways and you have a stillness physiologically and mentally and emotionally. So you can actually hear the still small voice of your intuition. When you're in the throes of blood sugar imbalance and you don't feel good in your body, you feel really just yucky, metabolic inflexibility or rigidity is the death of intuition of truly knowing what your body needs because craving that food that's going to perpetuate inflammation or perpetuate blood sugar imbalance isn't your intuition speaking. It's it's imbalance disguising itself as intuition. So yeah, I agree with you. We want to get to the place where you start learning about your body and have a deep knowingness of like, okay, look, this, this day I did it this way, but this next day I don't have to do it that way. So what I'm teaching people in the book is to start with this plan that's just born out of my clinical experience with patients, but it starts with lighter fasting, which is a 12-12 fast meaning you're eating within a 12-hour period. It's really just about not eating too late at night. So you're fasting through the night until you break the fast at breakfast and repairing that with a ketotarian way of eating to amplify the benefits of that time-restricted feeding. And then we go a bit deeper in week two, a bit week deeper in week three to an almost OMAD approach in week three where it's a 22 to two fasting to eating window. OMAD is one meal a day for people that aren't new to this. But... That's the deeper ketosis, the deeper part of that metabolic yoga class. And then week four, we're loosening back up to 12-12 and we're increasing clean carbs to put that kindling on the fire in a clean kindling way. So the, there's a time and place for kindling or sugar. There's a time and place for healthy fats. I want people to have the flexibility to do both. And what researchers call metabolic inflexibility is metabolic indecision. It's sort of this metabolic purgatory where you're kind of stuck and not... Uh, feeling great. And I want your mitochondria, I want your metabolism to be able to burn fat and burn sugar for fuel. So when you start to build metabolic flexibility, it's exactly what you said. It's, it is this awareness that things don't always have to be the same. We are in different seasons of our life throughout our life. And what served us at one point is going to evolve and change in different seasons of your life. And from an ancestral health perspective, we're in different seasons of the year where it's going to serve us to do things differently throughout the year. So, but all of that is getting us in alignment with the rhythms of nature of which we're a part of, but people are so divorced from it because they they're out of balance. So by creating that homeostasis, by creating that awareness of your body, you get into the rhythms of yourself and the rhythms of the world. So for folks wanting to start more of an intentional, intentional intermittent fasting protocol of sorts, would you say start eating breakfast first thing in the morning? Or would you say don't eat anything, just tea or coffee? Is there like an hour that you would start start patients? Well, it's I realize when people, just like with, with, my, with my patients, when people are reading the book or they're reading an article or listening to this podcast, they're at different points of their journey. 
So it depends on where they're at. You know, not everybody's at the same place. And that's why I wanted to start the flexible fasting plan in the book with a 12-12, which pretty much anybody can do that. Pretty much anybody can do eat within a 12-hour period. So that's like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Get your calories in, but eat in a way that complements and enhances the fast, like a, a clean ketogenic diet, which again, is doing a lot of the same things. It's increasing ketosis. It's putting that log on the fire. So start there for a week. But then we go into week two, which is the metabolic fast. It's a, about an 18-hour fast, a 16 to 18-hour fast. But as I say in the book, and as I say to my patients, if you're feeling like, well, week one was tough enough, this is like too much for me to go into week two into an 18-hour fast, which is basically eating between noon and 6 p.m. Like you said, like maybe skipping breakfast and going noon to six, or you could do it the other way around and just between eat between the morning and do those six hours. It doesn't matter um, really. It's just, so have it work with your schedule. There should be a, a lightness to this and not be super arduous and dogmatic. But typically I, I would say 12 to 6 p.m. is what people do, but you can flip it into the morning. But that's a six hour window of eating. What happens when you do eat too late? Because I that's as far as like, if there's any consistency that I notice in my own well-being, it's when I eat late, I wake up and I feel like I have this like bolus of stuff in my abdomen and I feel kind of just heavy and kind of more wrecked than typical yeah. when I wake up and there's like food in my belly. Yeah. What is happening exactly when you put a bunch of food in your face before you go to bed? We're not giving your body time to repair and to heal through the night. So digestion, it requires a lot of energy. And when you're sleeping, your body should largely not be concerned with so much digestion. It's going to have some, but it's to have a massive meal or to be doing it on a consistent basis. You're not going to be sleeping and repairing as much as you need to throughout the night potentially, especially if you if someone has an unhealthy gut and their gut's not already not where it needs to be on top of that stressing out and already stressed out gut is a recipe for disaster if you're doing it time and time again. Random day, whatever. I mean, the human body is amazingly resilient. We're talking about someone that consistently does this. Uh, it's not going to be good because your body needs to repair. Your gut brain axis needs to repair. Your gut and brain are actually formed from the same fetal tissue and they're linked for the rest of our life through what's known as the gut-brain axis. And our gut's actually the second brain and 95% of serotonin is made in the gut and stored in the gut. So it's important for our gut and our brain, our first brain and our second brain to repair through the night. And these healthy autophagy pathways or cellular recycling pathways, they need to be up and active. And many of them, those pathways are the most resilient through the night. So eating dampens the body's cleaning mechanisms. Hmm. So something that I've experienced doing extended fasts, so doing like 24-hour fasts or 72-hour fasts, um, I've found them to be very supportive to change my relationship with food. Hmm. Uh, you, you go through the whole like leptin, ghrelin, hormonal cycle of like, yes. I'm hungry. And then like 35 minutes later, you're like, I'm not hungry at all and feel better than before, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that's that been an interesting experience for me just to, to kind of re-gauge my relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Is that something that would be recommended to, say, like a pregnant woman or like, you know, and a 15-year-old boy? Is, like, is that across the board? Like try a fast? Like who who is fasting for? 
depends on how you do it. It's like working out, you know, it's like someone saying, oh, working out isn't for me. It's like, <laughs> how is it? How are you doing it? Um, and yeah. there are improper ways to work out and there's think ways that you're going to be damaging and not helpful. The same way with intermittent fasting. That's why I'm very careful to bring the context to this is that these are amazing tools that we need to find out what works best for our body at this season of our life, which is going to evolve as we evolve. So being flexible and moving with your body and having a lightness to it is really where the magic is for people because it's not super dogmatic. It's not super strict all day long, every day. It's the yin and the yang. There's a time for fasting and time for for refeeding. And fasting, true, the way that the research is done and the way that we can really tap into the benefits, it's fasting is not the same as chronic caloric restriction. You are eating ample amounts of food when you are eating in the window. So I wouldn't recommend super long-term, strict, deep fasting windows for obviously women that are pregnant. I wouldn't recommend it for most women. And I wouldn't recommend it for like a random adolescent or teenager either too. But the way that we're vacillating in intuitive fasting, you're not anywhere for long. There's this dance that happens with the metabolism that you brought it up. It's so brilliant of a point, but leptin, this hormone that our fat cells produce, many people are leptin resistant. Their leptin levels are too high. They're struggling with cravings, they're struggling with weight loss resistance, and they uh, are bound by this hormonal resistance pattern of leptin resistance. Well, one way to reset the leptin resistance and bring it down to a balanced level is through intermittent fasting. So that benefits most everybody. So who should be fasting the way they advocate it? It's really anybody. The one people that I would say you need to talk to your healthcare practitioner or your eating disorder specialist are people with eating disorders. That's one thing. And that's a blanket recommendation for really any change because somebody that has issues in the past with a relationship with food or restriction in any way, um, they should be talking to their specialist and the uh, their doctor. But with that said, I have many patients who have got the go-ahead from their doctor and their eating disorder specialist. And the way that we're doing it with intuitive fasting, it's such a gentle approach that they actually have better blood sugar balance, better mood, they feel better. So it actually helps their overall wellness and their relationship with their body and food because they have more resilience. And when more you have more resilience, you have a better outlook on life and better handle on things as far as your stress management. Who would the extended fast, at least 24 hours, but like multiple days before then, if it's not for maybe any women or any adolescents. And is that something that's like fair to say any women and, you know, like who would it be for? Well, some women do well with it, but it's therapeutically. So it's mainly women that are doing it because they have different autoimmune issues, people that have different inflammatory problems. People do it for different cancer alternative treatments. Those women are doing it for a specific time. It's finite. They're not doing it as a wellness practice over and over again. If you're talking about specific protocols, I think that's completely fine for women to do that. I think that the deeper fasts, if it's not for a specific therapeutic benefit for a specific thing, or even spiritual reasons that people do it, that's different. I think women can benefit from those finite things. If you're talking about extended fasting on a regular basis, not regular. Just somebody that wants to give it a try. Yeah. I mean, the body is amazingly resilient. If we're talking about somebody that wants to just try it, anybody can try it. 
barring the eating disorder, they should talk to their, their eating disorder specialist. But and I thought you were talking about extended fasting as a regular practice, which I have some patients do. Um, they, I know people that do like a monthly yeah. one day thing. And that seems to work really oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, that's light and variable as well. I think diet variation, eating window variation, macro variation is good for most human beings. So yep. dipping into this, and you have to learn about your body. You have to learn about how your body feels. You have to check in with yourself, check in with your energy levels, check in with your digestion, check in with your cycle, check in with your libido, check in with all of these things. Is it serving you or is it sabotaging you? We're all different because that's really oversimplistic for me or anybody else to put all women in one basket too, because is the woman struggling with PCOS or endometriosis or autoimmune issues or, you know, insulin resistance, she's going to do better with deeper fast longer and more consistently probably. But is the person dealing with low thyroid issues, or she's underweight, more fast, deeper fast, more consistent, deeper fast is probably not going to serve her. There's so many variables to consider that can't always be reduced to, to any one group of people or gender, but we're all unique with different variables. And we need to start growing in our own intuition to learn what works for our bodies. I want to take a brief moment and discuss the value of cultivating a healthy microbiome. So when you are eating food, you might be spending all sorts of money on the healthiest organic food from the healthiest pretentious local grocery store that you may find, and you may be missing out on actually being able to assimilate that food into usable energy within your body. If you do not have the proper microbes within your stomach, your intestines, in order to actually break down and assimilate that food, then it's essentially going to waste. If you're experiencing bloat, if you're experiencing maybe perhaps joint pain, brain fog, things of the sort, a place to examine more deeply would be your biome. So I teamed up with our friends over at BioOptimizers to help us out with the leaky gut Guardian. It is a supplement that I take on the regular and I find value in it. The reason that I like BioOptimizers in general is when I take their probiotics, I actually feel an energetic change, not energetic in like a woo-woo way, energetic in the sense of like, I feel more uplifted. I feel like almost like having a cup of tea. Like I feel more stimulated after eating them, which I find to be impressive and exciting. Oftentimes when I'm taking various different supplements of all forms, you eat them, you kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best. But with this stuff, I actually feel a difference. So if you guys want to check it out, you can. If you don't love it and you don't feel a difference, then you can get a 100% money back guarantee and you can get yourself a 10% discount now by going to leakygutguardian.com slash align. That's leakygutguardian.com slash align. Get yourself 10% off. If you don't love it, if it doesn't help out with your gas or your bloating or your energy or any of the things, then just get your money back. No big deal. So that's it. That's all. LeakyGutGuardian.com slash align. Back to the programming with my guy, Dr. Will Cole. So with fasting, what is actually happening in the body? You mentioned cellular autophagy. The analogy that I use is, is kind of like you're, you're moving out of an apartment and you, all you have is a briefcase. You really choose what you need and you let go of the superfluous crap. And I think there's a similar thing that happens in one's biology when they when they all of a sudden don't have all these extra calories to spend on cells that maybe they didn't need. But could you get into one, you know, does that make any sense? And then two, like what's actually happening in the body? Yeah, it does make sense. I love that analogy. So 
what's happening first of all? Uh, fasting is a type of hormesis, which I know that you know quite a bit about. When I actually first, well, I knew you beforehand, but the first I hung out with you at your house, we, I was on the podcast first, we did some hormesis at the house. We went between cold therapy and sauna oh, yeah. and went back and forth. Those are two like top of the line hormetic therapies where it's the good stress. We did the ice bath. We did the sauna going back and forth. Like that is a form of hormesis. Fasting is another type of hormesis. So it is a good stress that actually makes your body more resilient. So it is um, a way to activate pathways that are dormant because most people are bound by that sugar burning, kindling burning mode. When you start to get the kindling off of the fire, then you get into that hormetic effect where the body cortisol levels actually go up a little bit. And that's part of the hormesis, just like cortisol is going to come up in any slightly stressful place. But then the body starts really tapping into. So the shorter fasts are going to have some of these benefits, but the deeper fast that you go within reason, obviously, you are able to tap into this because then your body starts increasing ketosis. And that beta-hydroxybutyrate is a signaling molecule, meaning it does really cool things for our health. Like I mentioned, it passes through the blood-brain barrier, providing the brain clean fuel. It decreases on a cellular level. It's increasing insulin sensitivity and leptin sensitivity. It's decreasing inflammation. So it downregulates all these pro-inflammatory pathways like the NF-kappa-B pathway, the um, COX-2 pathway, these inflammasomes that are really high. It's like your body's own natural endogenous anti-inflammatory drug that you're making yourself. And it's increasing these antioxidant pro-longevity pathways like the AMPK pathway, the NRF2 pathway. You're basically tapping into what Paracelsus, Paracelsus was one of the fathers of modern medicine. Everyone knows about Hippocrates. Hippocratic Oath, every doctor takes the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. Hippocrates did use fasting for patients too, but Paracelsus was this other father of modern medicine in Switzerland in the late 1400s, early 1500s. He was known as the father of toxicology, or some people called him the, the Martin Luther of medicine because he was reforming medicine. He called fasting the physician within. So I like that way of saying that because all those things I just mentioned, all those like sciencey, wonky like pathways, it's just the physician within. It's repairing and resetting and renewing things that are off through this, this thing because it's our, what our genetics would have evolved with. Our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years, but yet our world has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. And you look at the food we're eating and the way we're moving and the way we're living and the, the environment itself, there's a chasm between genetics and epigenetics. So this Genetic epigenetic mismatch or this evolutionary mismatch is what researchers are saying is that at the heart of why there's so many different chronic inflammatory problems, different autoimmune issues, and mental health issues is because of this mismatch. Well, the physician within decreases that chasm between genetics and epigenetics. So your body's able to repair and it's awakening these pathways that have lied dormant for maybe for, the, for our entire lives until we tap into it. It seems like there's, uh, I think, I think it was probably Hippocrates that said something like overeating is the root of all disease or something along those lines. I'm probably mixing up the doctor philosopher quote. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that quote specifically, but yeah, it's, it's definitely. A, and a it's, truth. I, I feel like that concept 
would cross over to just being bombarded by information, like not feeling at home inside of our minds. And I think all of this stuff pairs together. And oftentimes, you know, we think we're doing a thing and, you know, you call it fasting and then you get it in all this NRF2 and all the, the autophagy and you got all this science of like what's happening. But I think oftentimes a big part of what's another layer, maybe like a, like a foundational layer of what's happening is you're, you're starting to just gain a deeper relationship with yourself because you're starting to cut out some of the noise. You know, so I wonder, have you, have you had experiences like that in your relationship with food and kind of like mm-hmm. transcending just the sciencey bits, but more into like an internal awareness type portion? Yeah. I mean, I have to know the sciencey stuff because it's part of my job, but honestly, you can dump all of that stuff and, and, and just look at your quality of life. And that's what my patients, a lot of them, a lot of them want to know the, the geeky stuff too, but um, some of them don't. And I, I, I think you don't have to know any of that stuff. It's just, what is your quality of life? Like I mentioned, check your energy, check your sleep, check your digestion. Are these things improving or are they not improving? That own, using your real life as a lab, using your your own end of one experiment for yourself is really the heart of it all. Because who cares if you have a double blind placebo controlled trial with all of these things? I mean, yes, we care in healthcare, but the average person just wants to know, is this going to better my life? Is this going to improve my life? Does it work? And those are the things that, that I, I care about too. When I'm like, have my functional medicine hat off, it's like, am I going to really notice a noticeable change? And let's do more of that. And the things that don't make me feel good, let's do less of that. Um, but that's intuition. That's what I want people to grow in because that's how I run my life. I'm not thinking about macros and all the detailed cl- clinical nutrition stuff that I have to know for some patients for a specific period of time for different therapeutic benefits. I have to know that stuff. But for my own life, and where I want patients to get to is really be governed and be operating and, and flowing from a place of grace and lightness and, and intuition. So fasting can seem the antithesis of intuition. How could it be anyone be intuitively fasting? But it's actually a tool to get to a place of intuition because it's actually our birthright. And we're able to really tap into these things that when you have metabolic flexibility, I promise you, I see it from my, in my own life. I see it from my patient's life. They get there. There is an effortlessness. You don't have to be super obsessive about all the sciencey stuff. You don't have to be super dogmatic about ways of eating or ways of not eating. It's there's just a knowingness that I am. This is what my body loves. This is what my body hates. And you don't need anybody on social media to rattle you or confuse you because it's like, okay, maybe that works for them. But uh, like I'm seeing it in my own life and I know how to feel great. How do you define God? <laughs> I love you. I love you so much. You knew I was going to ask it. <laughs> the whole time I'm talking about metabolism, he's like, what does he think about God? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I mean, God is my best friend in all seriousness. I mean, there's a deep knowingness there too, that it's not defined by religion. It's not defined by religious dogma or people's pontification of theology. There's just a knowingness of this supreme oneness and the supreme intelligence within the universe that is inside of us, part of us, and beyond us at the same time. That mystery that's there, That's it's just something I know. It's just something that I, that's what God is for me. And I know that there's a divine 
order and a divine um, rhythm of our lives in the universe that um, I see in my own life. And I, it's like when you, even when you are talking to people and getting them healthy, there's such a sacredness to it. And this like sacred bond of human to human. And I see God in that. I see God in my kids. I see God in nature. I see God in all of these simple things that are just, you can't, they're ineffable. You can't really fully verbalize them eloquently. At least I can't, but there's just this deep knowingness that doesn't actually have to be effable. Does it actually have to be described by words? It's just something that's special and sacred. When in your life have you felt like you've had the most intimate relationship with the concept of God? Maybe not the concept, but like a, like an intimate connection. For me, it's like probably, I'll say three things. One, nature is a major thing for me. I, I think there's like this disorganization in nature, meaning there's not like lines of trees or like pretty garden that man makes, but there's like this in the, in the randomness, there's a unity and order to it. And there's, there's like a stillness and a rootedness that, that nature, the forest or the desert gives to me, whether I'm like, I'm in Pennsylvania now. Um, it's the forest, but I was in Arizona not too long ago. It's like the desert for me. It's like, no matter where I'm at, like getting connected to that to some degree is like, is the church. It's like the ultimate sanctuary of like connection to realizing it because what it's always there, even when it's not there, it's just all the noise is gone and you can really be aware of that connection there. So that's one. Second is synchronicity for me. And I know that that's maybe silly for some people, but you see these, these things that can, that can't be explained. They're small to you and they're small to the world. But when you notice things lining up and this synchronicity of just this, you almost see the weaving and the, the seams of the cosmos in the, these synchronistic things. And that's one way that I'm seeing, I see God in my life. And then third, it's, it's my kids. It's my kids and my wife. And I think that seeing seeing them and their relationship, having a relationship with them is is something that that is spiritual for me as well. What do you think pulls you away from that sensation of connection? Uh, well, anxiety is one of them. So anxiety, I've, I've talked about this at length. So I've autoimmune conditions of both sides of my family. I have these different methylation impairments like the MTHFR gene variants, which doesn't really matter to the average person. But I know that I have to spend extra work and extra due diligence and vigilance and consistency to take care of myself in that way. And everybody has their own sticking points. Everybody has their own things that that's their work uh, in this life. So for me, it's that. So when I'm in the throes of worrying or dreading or in that sort of ruminating thoughts about the past or the future or the what ifs, all of that stuff, that is a disconnection. That's a, or it's at least a distraction. It's not a disconnection. It's a distraction. Do you see any consistent route to the worries and the anxiety? Mm -mm. No, not so much. It's a, and this is a lot of my work with patients is this bi-directional relationship between thoughts and emotions and our physiology. Cause our thoughts and emotions, like whatever, a packed schedule during the day or tons of stuff to do or stressful work event or life event, like that stuff will impact your physiology. It can raise inflammation levels up, impact your hormones, disrupt the gut, brain axis, all that stuff. But then conversely, there's things physiologically that impact mental health too. 
imbalanced gut or hormone imbalance or inflammation will impact your thoughts and emotions as well. So mental health is not separate from physical health. It's the same. Mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our body. So for me, it's not one thing. For some people, it is. For me, it's like a combination. It's normally something external that's impacting my internal because I have the internal stuff down pretty well. Like I, I really do practice what I teach as far as this functional medicine stuff is concerned. So I have the internal down so much, but my thoughts and emotions like that stuff, how I manage stress is really the probably the biggest trigger for my anxiety. I wonder for you if there's anything that stands out that's been the hardest thing in your life to find gratitude for, and if there's anything in your life that you do not have gratitude for. That's truth. I mean, it's truth. I think when I'm in a state of anxiety, that's not a state of gratitude at all in that moment. It's not. It's a, I'm not realizing or knowing the gratitude or I'm not remembering the gratitude that I have, or or even maybe I'm not grateful in that moment at all. I've certainly been there before. But I, I think that for me, you're right. It's like the the things that are the things that are very like we all in many ways, and I certainly am on the top of that list, live very blessed, privileged lives. And the things that I get anxious about, actually one of the things that root me back beyond breath awareness and all the stuff that I do as well, is at the end of my life, am I really going to be worried about this? And in my life, is is this really going to be something that I think about? And that is one of the things that bring me back to my center. And gratitude is a great, you know, antidote to anxiety. Hmm. So has there been any one thing that stands out that was like the hardest thing to swallow? No, I mean, not, not specifically. I think just overall, um, I think I can get caught up in things that don't matter. So I run a clinic. So the things that stress me out sometimes are like things not working out the way that they should. And me having to control everything or manage everything or having the best experience for patients. If there's any blip in that, that's when my anxiety comes up. Okay, I want to fix it and sort it out and and manage everything. Um, I think letting go of control is is a a big life lesson for me. Hmm. Is there anything that stands out that you're afraid of? Mm. Um, I, I would say one of the things, I mean, we're talking about how, so I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of things. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> I'm claustrophobic. Um, you know, those are the main things that I'm, I'm fearful of, I guess, on a day-to-day basis. You think about heights and claustrophobia on a daily basis? Regular basis. <laughs> Bridges? Well, spiders. You're good with spiders? Yeah, no, I'm good with spiders. You're good with spiders. (laughs) So the reason I'm asking all these questions is because I I think it is interesting that, you know, we we get myopic with the conversations of, you know, and I found myself in the first half because I want to have like a discussion about fasting and give people bullet points and conversation Mm -hmm. around like, cool, like how do I get started? Mm -hmm. Why does it matter? Mm -hmm. Um, But then ultimately my illusion is that all of these different avenues or channels are bringing us back closer to a relationship with something, mm-hmm. you know, some source connection, which sounds like some new age shit. But I think ultimately, like, there's a Joseph Campbell quote that I just learned yesterday is that the, any feeling fully felt is bliss. You know, so we have all these ideas around what a thing is, and then that can, our perception of it can induce anxiety or depression or clinging or aversions or whatever. But ultimately, our relationship with food, our relationship with business, our relationship with movement, all that stuff. Ideally, they are channels to get us back into that point of, of, of bliss, I think is where most people are. Yeah. You know, ideally, would 
would like to arrive. Yeah. Um, you know. No. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I think that all of these things, like you can have the best food protocol out there, best food plan, best activity, like exercise plan that you love or best fasting plan, whatever you're talking about. All of those should be a ripple effect of a healthy relationship with yourself and not be super coming from a place of stress and shame and obsession of just to have a deep knowingness of what makes you feel great and what's going to elevate your life. Because many people think that they can stress and obsess and shame their way into health and it's not going to be sustainable at all. But if they're really coming from a place of, wow, how can I love my body enough to do things that that make me feel great? Or um, something that we say a lot in the clinic is you can't heal a body you hate. And many people are coming into wellness with this sort of arduous, punitive shame-based approach. But I think, yeah, what you're saying is absolutely true. Getting to the heart of the matter and having these things, whatever you're talking about in wellness, whether that be fasting or food or movement, have them be a ripple effect of self-love from your life and being grateful and being thankful for things and having a true gratitude practice at the heart of sustainable wellness as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting that it's easy to look at nutrition as the starting point to get us into those places of feeling more, you know, more bliss like. Mm -hmm. But for so many people, myself included, it's having that initial give a shit to even make a change like that. And you know, for some people nutritionally, they're just like, you know what? Like I'm just my food is like my anchor point. Like just let me have my Doritos or whatever. I'm you know, from there it's Mm -hmm. like, well, maybe there's another channel that we can enter from to get you to a point to release the Doritos. And so I wonder, sure. is that something that you that you witness with people? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I mean, look, food can be a huge modulator of our health. And if someone does nothing else, and it's the food's their entry point because everybody eats, so they should be eating. So every breakfast, lunch, and dinner is another opportunity to improve and modulate their biochemistry in a positive way if they're focusing on this. I get it. I get it. So if you start feeling better, that can encourage you and gives you motivation to keep wanting to do bigger things. And it's their gateway drug in a way to wellness. It's a gateway path to wellness. I understand that. But a deeper wellness, it's actually flipped. It's actually getting your head and your heart right first, getting your spirit, soul right first, and having the food be the flow from that. That's the next level. Mm. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, it's just very confusing, the human experience, because it's like with with finding a partner, you know, or, mm. or attracting money or, you know, whatever the things that you want. It's like, well, first, You need to, it needs to come from within, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you're like, okay, that's great. You know, but I think, you know, maybe I don't have the tool. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Um, I think I'm just confused with this life experience. (laughs) You and I are, but we all are, but we do the, (laughs) you do the best you can with the information you have at that time. What's, you know, everybody and the things that make sense to us now are the things that resonate with us now won't necessarily resonate with somebody earlier in their path or later in their path. It's okay. I, I think any conversation or any idea or concept, it's like, okay, what are the nuggets we can pull from this that we get at this point? And then talk to us in 10 years and you'll get some other nuggets from the same conversation. Yeah, I'm with that. Uh, well, thank you, man. I love you. I appreciate getting to connect with you anytime I have the opportunity. Likewise. And you, uh, we are Pennsylvania brothers. Pennsylvania brothers that, that last forever in this, in this incarnation, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having me. Any final closing words for 
humans or yourself or me or anything. It's okay if not. We can just say peace out. Yeah, I Usually mean, I say it's kind of wrap this bitch up. Is how I do. <laughs> you just say that. Yeah, I, you know what, man? I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. You're an authentic human being. And I, I let me say this. This is one thing I want to yeah. say before we go. Yeah, is good. we do case review meetings every day when I'm consulting patients. So we start a day off in gratitude practice, actually. Uh, and we do read some you know, meditative text or some meditation practice. And then we, we pray together and, and we go over the schedule and we look at how we can be of service to these people that are going through some really serious things. We deal a lot with people with autoimmune issues and brain health issues and digestive problems, serious stuff that aren't quick fix things. So we take that extremely seriously. It's a sacred responsibility for us, but we also go over the schedule, like for the clinical stuff too, like what where labs are at, like what person needs retesting, where are they at on this protocol, blah, 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 all that stuff. We go through that, but you were on the schedule for today uh, and you, you A, have some super fans here on the team. They love you oh, very cool. much. Oh, that's great. B, second thing is I said he, when I was on his podcast for the first time, I, it, it was like, I landed in LAX and I was like, he's like, do you have swim shorts? <laughs> he texted me, do you have swim shorts? I was like, I, I can't remember. I think I borrowed your shorts. And I was like, okay. no, I don't. Um, I think it was a bikini. Yeah, I think it, well, I I think it was like turquoise Speedos. I yeah. think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I and I thought it was like the coolest way to like start a podcast. I know like in the time that we're living in, it's like not possible maybe so i appreciate this time that we're having now in a different way but i i appreciate that i think that you bring something such such a uniqueness and authenticity and a deeper conversation because of what we did like we went back and forth through the cold i mean that was, that was my first really my first proper cold plunge in like ice bath like that i've done like lakes and things like that but um oh, cool. but it was a cool experience and i appreciate you I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for for uh, all that right back at you. I appreciate just your authenticity and you're not striving to prove anything. You're just who you are. It's like, it's cool. Thanks, it man. makes, I think, the effect that you likely experience with that is people probably have a more authentic version of themselves come out when they're around you, which is, that's like a real gift. So it is. Yes. Now that we've thoroughly blown smoke up each other's ass, we can <laughs> wrap this bitch up. Uh, you have what Instagram where if people want to talk to you, where do people go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Passenger pigeon, any way of connecting, but uh, Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E, drwillcole.com. They can order intuitive fasting there, all that stuff at the, on the website. Love it. All right. Thanks, Ben. Over and out. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you very much. Until next time, we'll jump over to your podcast. What is your podcast called? It's called The Art of Being Well, of which you live it. quite well. So let's talk the about it. Being. Well, my mind is an internal maelstrom. So we'll have to... We'll have to what do you think about God? <laughs> we'll get into it. <laughs> Next time. All right. All right. Thank you, my brother. Bye. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you all for listening. Over now. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, feel free to share it on the gram or wherever do your shares. You can tag myself at Align Podcast. You can tag Dr. Will Cole at Dr. Will Cole. I always greatly appreciate seeing those guys and it is clearly a helpful way to support this podcast just by telling your friends, telling your tribe and letting people know if it was supportive. Also, if you're interested in learning how to control your breath to control your state of mind. Your breath essentially is a toggle switch to alter your state. If you wanna feel more energetic, if you wanna feel more tired, relaxed, calm, stimulated, you can do it with your breath. And we break down some fundamental techniques in the six-week Align Method online programs. If you are interested in learning about this, you can go to alignpodcast.com slash courses and you can find the six-week online program. That's alignpodcast.com slash courses. Okay. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I hope you're enjoying your day. I hope you are cultivating your own joie de vivre and I look forward to speaking into your ear canals next week. Pow.